This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, or good afternoon, depending on where you are at. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful fall morning here in Southern California. It's 55 degrees out. That's why I got a sweater on. But today I am wearing, if you can see it, ah, the Navy sweater. And the reason why I'm wearing the Navy sweater is because uh, yesterday, technically, uh, was our, our birthday, the Navy's birthday. So, Sean Griffin, I know you're out there listening. Uh, 1775 is when our Navy came alive. And uh, so we're celebrating that uh, this week. And so if, if you are out there, uh, any of my fellow fellow uh, sailors and Marines, step aside, do or die, and go Navy. All right. So, but that being said, that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about uh, information sharing, collaboration, and why it's important and, and how we can make this better uh, for everybody across the board. And so today I'm really uh, happy to have uh, an expert in that field. And uh, Rachel, come on in. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So information sharing and collaboration, I, that's kind of like your area of expertise, I guess. And uh, that's why we got you here. Well, what does that mean? Well, I... Um... I mean, my my real focus on my research is is disaster studies, so it's risk analysis related to natural disasters. But all of my research really is is marked by collaborations, both across disciplines and between academics and um, practitioners, uh, like emergency managers. So I think that's probably what you're, um, you know, what I'm excited to talk about today. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And um, in terms of like practitioners versus academics, I think the reason I, I love this is um, most of the academics I know, the researchers that I know, um, and myself included, you know, we've gotten into the area of studying disasters, not just as an intellectual exercise, but because we want to make a difference. We want some of our work to get into the real world and to have an impact and to help solve these challenges that we have. Um, so I think there's there's always a real interest in working with practitioners who bring a different perspective, who can kind of ground us in some of the reality of what they're facing, of what would really, you know, what the challenges really are. Um, and I think our strengths complement each other because as, as researchers, we kind of have the luxury of having time to really sit and think about the way things are done and to, to think about could we do it differently um, when you're dealing with the next event you don't have time as an emergency manager to do that always you got to just deal with whatever's in front of you so i think there's some complementary strengths that um that we can bring if we work together you know i, I mean i i have my feet in both worlds right uh, one is a practitioner on the other side of it as i teach as what as most people know and I, one of the struggles that i see is we have practitioners that I don't want to say are dismissive of the stuff that we're learning, you know, through research, but are very suspect of, of what we're doing in, in research. Um, how, do, how do we bridge that gap? Yeah, I totally understand that because there's definitely a danger when you're um, in a university or, or some kind of research environment to get disconnected from kind of the real world. It's the idea of the ivory tower. Um, and so it is, 
you know, I can definitely see how it happens that, you know, we start down a path of something that we think is interesting, but it's not necessarily going to be directly useful, or at least not in the near term. Um, or, uh, you know, we make certain assumptions for reasons, like it's easier to do it that way, or we know how to do it. And so, and those assumptions might make whatever work we're doing not, not ultimately useful. Um, so I, I totally understand that. Um, and uh, but I, I think the way to overcome it is just to be talking to each other a lot more um, and through through the entire cycle of projects. So from formulating the projects, which questions should we be focused on um, through how should we go about it and how do we interpret and make sense of what we've developed or, or, behave, um, you know, or learned. I think through the whole process, we need to be talking, talking together. Um, and so, like I said, I think it's, you know, it, it requires some, some willingness on both sides and some interest on both sides to value the opinions of others, to value the perspective they bring and the, the strengths that they bring um, and, and try to explain what you think you bring. Um, so I, I think they're very complementary. You know, I, I think we can come up with much better solutions together than either would alone. Right. You know, one of the things I find interesting too is we, when I say we, I'm talking about practitioner side of it, is there's a lot of great research that's going on out there. Um, we have the journals, right? We have the, the Journal of Emergency Management. We have the Crisis Response Journal. Um, and and they're out there and people are putting out some really great pieces of information, uh, great work. Um, and But at the other end of it, it does take some effort um, as a practitioner to, to look at these things and to find them and to search them out. Um, and so kind of putting the, 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 the screws to the, to the practitioners right now, mm -hmm. but there is effort there, right? But you have to do it because if you're not, if you're not keeping up with what is happening out there, uh, I think you're actually doing a disservice to your community and you're definitely doing a disservice to the profession. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit more about the profession here a little mm -hmm. bit, but uh, um, I know that where you're at the university, you yeah. have a few different research wings. How do people access that information? So um, I'm part of the Disaster Research Center at the University of Delaware, and we do have a full a resource collection that's really wonderful with a full-time um, manager of that resource collection who's available to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to help people access that information from all over the world. So if, if you look for our website, you'll see the resource collection and it's it's all available. And in fact, she's willing and eager to help people find what they need to find. Um, so it, it's a great resource and, and people from all over the world do access it. Um, I, I will say though, to your question or your previous comment that it isn't as simple as, to, the, to do this collaboration as I think sometimes we want to believe. And I think that's maybe what you were getting at, that yes. there is often kind of a gap between where a researcher sees their work ending and where a practitioner would like it to begin. So, um, you know, what researchers are rewarded for, what we're funded to do is to advance knowledge and to develop new things. It's not really to bring tools to the beta tested version that you can easily sit on your desk and use. Um, so there is kind of a gap. Um, and recently, I've been working with a startup company, Disaster Technologies. I know you know them, Todd. Um, as And they're trying to help fill that gap to take some of the research that's been developed and try to 
get it over that hurdle to into a form that's easier for people to use. Um, there's other ways to do that as well. That's one um, one company that's trying to. Um, but yeah, so I think a lot of it also can be about managing the expectations because you know if if a practitioner is expecting a nice like perfectly tested tool with full tech support by the end of a project and the academic is thinking that you know <laughs> we're never going to get to that point then you know there can be miscommunication and and then trust issues develop and stuff like that so part of it is being clear about expectations um but i think there's there is an opportunity for to make it easier to make this connection. Um, I know the National Science Foundation recently funded a project called the Civic Program that was aimed at that as well. Um, and I hope that there are more coming out because it's not trivial. Um, but I, I know that at least among the researchers I know, um, I think there's a lot of interest in doing that. Yeah, I just had a, a conversation um, on another show I have called Prepare, Respond, Recover, and we were talking to DHS specifically about uh, their two challenges that they have, um, one on the civic side, the other one is on, the, on climate change, and, and looking for um, researchers to to go and, and find those tools that we have. And I think that's the interesting part about it, and, and this is sort of that sort of that gap that we have to fill, is that when you have uh, organizations um, that are out there doing great research, and then you have people that that do prize. I mean, you can win. I, was, I think it was like fifty or sixty thousand dollars or something like that that they're giving out uh, for workable solutions for uh, climate change, um, you know, protections mm -hmm. that are out there. Um, those type of things really, really impact how we do the job on the practitioner side. Um, I, I'm, my concern is is that I think the practitioners get so caught up in the minutia of their specific jurisdiction that they're not looking at best ways of best practice. I mean, they not, not because they don't want to, uh, but because I think they just get caught up in the day-to-day -day work of stuff uh, of seeing other ways of, of doing things mm -hmm. and looking at disasters worldwide and learning from those responses and, and those recoveries uh, and not being able to implement them into their jurisdiction. And I think that's another gap that we have to, mm -hmm. to, to do. And now when you're looking for collaboration, how do you find partners to collaborate with? Um, well, usually it's, it's, we're thinking about a project that we think would be useful and, and are, and then are trying to identify people who, um, who might have a good, you know, might be able to contribute. Um, I've done a lot of work over the years in North Carolina related to hurricanes. And um, I met Mike Sprayberry, who was the state emergency manager there until just recently when he retired. Um, I actually met him like way long ago before he was in that role. And so we sort of developed a relationship and a level of trust over time. So when new ideas came up, he was a great person both to collaborate with and to introduce me to other people who might be, you know, might be interested. Um, so I know that emergency managers have a very strong network. And so talking to, to some people, you can usually get connected to others. <laughs> um, I've also done a lot of work in the Los Angeles area in related to earthquakes. Um, but I think it's really just, just talking to people and seeing who's interested, because usually it takes it takes, you know, some effort and some commitment. And so you can't force somebody to do it if they're not interested. 
Absolutely. Hey, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the importance of going to uh, or to go in like the IEM. That's what's happening uh, uh, this week. Hey, are you going to go to uh, IEM on Monday? Well, hey, okay, if you're there, visit booth 816 to learn more about the powerful technology behind Disaster Tech's DICE and receive demonstrations on Voltron, a game-changing preparedness platform by Microsoft and Disaster Tech. In addition, attendees will have the ability to enter giveaways and happy hour bracelets will be distributed. In addition to Disaster Tech's booth presence, Disaster Tech's CEO and co-founder, Sean Griffin, will be participating in a speaker session about designing and conducting exercises to evaluate emergency management. During this talk, Disaster Tech and co-speakers from Microsoft will discuss this topic at length and give further demonstrations of Voltron. Join us on Tuesday, October 19th from 2.30 to 3 p.m. in Ballroom C. Lastly, on 10.19 from 6.45 to 8.45 p.m. Don't miss out on attending Disaster Tech's happy hour at the Atwater Brewery. Food and beverages will be supplied and giveaway winners will be selected. Don't miss out on this exclusive chance to see Voltron in action. See you at IAM. Hey, real quick. Also, just there was a change um, on that. That's not Ballroom C any longer. It will be in Ballroom D if you're in the area. Um, I'm also speaking on on, uh, Monday uh, as well at the IAM conference. So I'm looking forward to that. And however, we also have NDEM coming up, the Natural Disaster and Emergency Management Expo. It's going to be in New York City uh, on the November 17th to the 18th at the Javis Center. And so registration is now live for that. So please uh, uh, join us over there. And if you can't make it live for, for whatever reason, um, the keynote speech that we're going to be going on with myself, Craig Fugate, and uh, Pete Gaynor, uh, we're also going to stream that. So look, please look for the information. We'll have it in the show notes uh, for you to be able to watch the streaming event, uh, the live streaming event with uh, with those guys. It's going to be a great conversation about emergency management for the top and talk about collaboration. So, uh, Rachel, come back in. So are you going to be going to IEM? Um, I'm not going to be able to go this year. I, I was um, fortunate to present in one of the early webinars, like the pre-meeting webinars, um, uh-huh. with uh, the folks from Disaster Tech and, and some other collaborators. So that was great. Um, but yeah, but I won't be able to attend <laughs> in person this coming week. How, how important how important is it um, to to really go to these events to, I mean, I, I know people like to go to the conferences and stuff like this, but why is it important to go to these conferences and learn from each other? Um, you mean as an academic or as a both just in general? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think sharing ideas is really important. It's important in any field, but in particular for disaster studies and disaster, you know, and emergency management, um, anyone, person or jurisdiction has only had a limited number of experiences. I mean, almost by definition, they're infrequent. So so learning from other people who have had similar experiences is really critical. And that's why it's really an international field um, because the big events especially don't happen that often. So we have to learn from other people. It's one of the challenges though, because we have to figure out what aspects of a particular event are are generalizable or what lessons can be translated to your own jurisdiction um, from other events. But I think, you know, that's a critical 
part of this whole field is, you know, learning from the experiences of others. So that that's, um, I think, attending conferences is one way to do that. Um, you know, collaborating on projects is another way. Reading the literature is another way. Um, listening to this podcast is another way. <laughs> you know, I I don't know how much experience you have with after action reports or reviews, if you will. Um, but I mean, the, for every every disaster, every event that's out there, we we do with them, and I I think they're they're very important. Um, do you suggest that emergency managers, like especially for the big disasters, uh, read those after action reports uh, to get what happened and, and what mistakes were made and how we can not have those mistakes again? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we have to, I mean, for the same reasons, we have to really try to learn from each event. Um, you know, there's some things we've learned over and over again, um, but also the world is always changing. So there's always new things and there's new events. You know, we're we're learning how cell phones play a role in disasters now. That wasn't something we had in previous events. So, um, but part of it, like I said, is trying to figure out what what lessons can be translated to a new event. Um, there's there's also kind of a natural way our brains work is that we tend to anchor on our last experience or our most salient experience. So if you assume that, you know, it, I'll use LA as an example, because you're there. If you assume the next earthquake is gonna be exactly like the 1994 Northridge earthquake, um, you might be surprised when it's not. It might be very different, We, you know, and so, only relying on your own experience or the experience of your agency, even, you know, if you say, well, in, in the Northridge earthquake, this happened and it was fine, or, you know, this was a problem. Um, that's, that's great information, of course. Um, but only by looking at other parts of the world and other, you know, and looking at the, the literature and the research and stuff, you can sort of understand how typical was that event? What do we expect? To be similar or different in the next one so that you know you're not always planning for the last one <laughs> right we we do plan for the last one this week or with you know there's two quotes i'm going to probably butcher really quick one but one is you know we're always fighting the last battle and then uh the other one too is you know eisenhower he he said basically please those that know the quote by by, by heart <laughs> please don't kill me for this he, he basically said uh you know it's not the plan that counts it's the process right you know so right. uh the the plan that we actually sit down and do and write and put in a piece of paper that's not necessarily that's not the important thing well it is important but the the process of going through thinking those things through mm -hmm. um you know and, and that that kind of leads into my next question re regarding collaboration. I mean, the stuff that we do, and I think maybe this is one of those bridge building moments, right? That where we, uh, as academics, we go through and we look at these things. I mean, you know, I look over to my left here because I have a bookshelf over there. Uh, Daniel Ulrich and his writings that he has has been amazing. Um, if you guys don't know who Daniel Ulrich is, he's from, uh, he's done some really great work on resiliency. Uh, he did a great a book called Black Wave, looking at the triple disaster um, over in Japan and, and some of the recovery issues that they had over there, the response issues too, for that matter. Um, you know, taking those and then like really putting them into into practice where, you know, exercises and drilling those that research that, that has been done uh, to see what we could do to, to do better. Uh, I think that's one of those things that we could do as practitioners. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, it's really important to go out and find that research. Uh, and I, sometimes I think that uh, as academics, we, we sort of stay in this bubble. Uh, how, 
what's what's one way as that we could do better um, on the academic side to reach out to the pr practitioners and collaborate with them? Yeah, I think it's um, well, like I said before, I think it's really important that we reach out at the beginning of projects, not mm. just at the end. So we don't, you know, do a whole project, develop some tool or or answer some question, and then look for someone to tell it to or to share it with because we might like we might be answering the wrong question we might have made assumptions along the way that aren't really realistic so i think it's it's incumbent upon us as researchers to get practitioners involved right from the start to say like this is what we're thinking of doing and and really to integrate their input and you know value it and take it seriously if someone's saying you know this is really the issue that's important or that's not an issue. Like we have to take that into account, take it seriously. So it shouldn't be a superficial thing where you just add someone's name to a project, but don't actually listen to them. Um, so I, I think that's probably the most important thing, but it's, you know, again, there has to be a willingness and, and a respect in both directions to listen to other people. But, um, and, and then, um, yeah, so I, I think, Get doing it early, developing the trust and um, and really working together, then also being willing to say like, okay, this is probably how not how I would have done it, but I'm going to take your word for it and I'm going to take your opinion on this and, you know, and actually do it a different way. <laughs> What's your favorite piece of research that you've done? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, depends on the day. <laughs> um, so, well, I'll, um, there's different things I like about different pieces of research, I guess. Um, one thing that comes to mind right now is actually um, the work that I've been doing with Disaster Tech, where um, I'm part of a team that includes, uh, it's very interdisciplinary. So we have a meteorologist, a hydrologist, coastal oceanographer, sociologist, a couple engineers, and we all work together to develop a new tool to help emergency managers decide when and where to issue evacuation orders for hurricanes. Um, and we took a very different approach that I think was really novel um, compared to other work in the literature. So I was really excited about it. Um, and now we're we're trying to work with disaster tech and with other emergency managers to see if we can get it across that gap I talked about and, and into actual practice, because um, I do think it could be useful. It's it's a little bit of a different way of thinking to what we're, we've been used to in the past, um, but I think it could potentially be very helpful. Um, and, you know, obviously it's an important real world problem. So, so right. that's one. Yeah. Is that, is that part of the, is that part of the DICE program that disaster tech is? Um, we're trying to integrate it into their platform. So the National Science Foundation funded the research and honestly, it develop, developed over probably 10 years. It was a long time to do different pieces. Um, and, but it, it's sort of at what, what we call the research tool stage now. So it works, we run it for lots of different events, but um, like you need to be an engineering graduate student to know how to run it right now. So <laughs> we've been working with Disaster Tech to put it on their platform to develop a user interface and to try to, to make sure that the information is presented in a way that's easy to understand, difficult to misunderstand and see how it might 
fit into the actual workflow that an emergency manager goes through when they're dealing with a hurricane event. Um, like we realize that there are all these potential barriers that you have a normal way of doing business, a way you make decisions and you need the right information at the right time. So we're, we're trying to work well to identify and work through some of those more practical barriers now that we've gotten the science to a point that we really feel okay about it. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, and I'm a public policy guy, so you probably wouldn't want me on the engineering because I'd probably break it. So that's kind of what we do. Um, Dan Scott has a question. He says, how do you engage with all the parties involved and how engaged should we continue to be? Um, well, that's a great question. I try to always be respectful of collaborators' time. Everybody I know is busy. And um, so I think... Um, you know, like I said, I think it's important for parties to be engaged throughout a project, not just at the end or just at the beginning. But right. um, I, I try to really make sure that we're we're only um, taking people's time when it really is valuable, and they can see that because otherwise they'll stop. They'll they'll stop participating, and and I would do the same. It's you know it's understandable. So um, normally now we've been doing you know our team is the researchers and the practitioners are all over the place in different states. So, you know, we do Zoom meetings mostly. Um, before COVID, we used to have a meeting like in person once a year for that particular project and, and for other projects as well. We usually try to have like an in-person meeting so that we can get to know each other a little bit and develop that trust and, and then follow up with video meetings um, and, you know, emails to send drafts back and forth and that kind of thing. Um, it can depend on the project too, if there's an actual, you know, there might be a period during the project or a particular task that requires more input from one group than from another. So, you know, I mean, another challenge is that researchers tend to work on a long timeline. Right. We don't do anything that quickly. <laughs> so that's another interesting barrier we've, uh, encounter and we know like you know a lot of our emergency manager partners are less available during hurricane season during peak hurricane season or they may be they may plan for a meeting and then become unavailable on short notice quickly yeah right so you know obviously that's we just have to work around that yeah yeah it's it's funny uh when I was working in government, I thought that was slow. And I moved to <laughs> academia and I was like, holy smug, that's makes government look like a cheetah compared to the way we do things at the. Oh, how oh, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, but it, no, it's good. I'm not uh, denying it, it though. <laughs> it's, it's, it is funny. Um, but it's, it's okay. You know, you kind of get used to it. I know Dan's uh, struggling with some of that stuff mm -hmm. right now. Dan and I work together on a, on the ethics uh, project that we're working on. So, you know, not as not as cool as the engineering side of things, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, still doing some research and whatnot. Um, I, I have a question, and it's going to be—it's not necessarily on topic. Um, it's about academics in general, and I've seen some conversations going back and forth. You know, on the on the great Facebook, right, or Twitter, or whatnot, mm -hmm. and it's from emergency managers, which is really kind of concerning, and and they're really kind of pushing back on the idea of having. Uh, formal education um, for emergency management because you know there's a lot of people that are in this field 
that you know were a first responder first or did something else to do not have any formal they've never maybe you know taken when i say formal education i'm talking about college courses uh have college underneath them or at least not a degree uh and there's pushback on there say we don't need a degree to do this job i i really disagree with them uh with the way new technologies new new thought processes are coming across well shoot like a quick argument of why you think that emergency managers should attend uh formal education um yeah well i i think there's a couple reasons i mean if emergency managers have a very difficult job um and it it's requires some really complex thinking and and management and so i think any kind of education to help improve just our our critical thinking and management and, and those sort of base level skills is really important. Um, there's more and more technology available, so it's great to have some understanding of that. But there's also, um, you know, decades now of of disaster studies that have come out, and there's a lot that we've learned. And there's no reason for um, every individual emergency manager to reinvent the wheel and relearn all of these things. So I think there could be real value to understanding kind of the history of how different practices came to be, understanding kind of the big picture of, of what's happened in the past, what we've learned from the past, um, you know, what we know about people's behavior, about, about behavior of hurricanes or earthquakes or whatever the events, uh, you know, the hazards are. Um, it it's just a very rich and complex topic. So I think having um, the benefit of understanding what's been done in the past, um, what's happened in the past could be very valuable. No, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, I can't, I can't uh, agree with you more than that. And, uh, and <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I stress this, I mean, but you know, people go, Oh, well, yeah, because you teach. And I'm like, well, it's not about right. that. One of the reasons why I like to teach is because I want to bring that next generation of emergency managers up, you know, and, and leaning forward to the future. And, and I think that you're going to start seeing uh, uh, more and more of that. Hey, we're coming close to the end of the show. Uh, I'd like to, is how could somebody find you and, and find the research that you're working on? Um, so I'm at the University of Delaware and at the Disaster Research Center. So if you Google that or and Google my name, you'll find me pretty easily. Um, and, you know, I really, would love to hear from any emergency managers listening to this. We're always looking for collaborators, um, me and my colleagues, um, or if you're looking for information that you think might be available within academic circles, I'm happy to try to connect you. Um, you know, like emergency managers, I think on the academic side, there's a fairly tight network across the country and even the world. Um, so, um, you know, I, I would love to hear from you and either either to talk with you or work with you myself or to connect you to, to some of my colleagues um, at UD or at other universities. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. Also, her information is going to be down in the show notes. So if you guys are looking, you can go down there and click. If you're driving uh, down the road and your pencil's not sharp, you can always just click on the link that's there in the show notes. Hey, one last thing. John Fontaine says, hey, visit Disaster Tech at Booth 816 and grab a happy hour wristband and say hi to the team. Sean Michael Griffin, We'll be speaking on 10-9 in, Bal in Ballroom D at 2.30. So just uh, don't forget about that as well. Well, I know that you're not going to be at IEM, but uh, it was uh, going to be great to see you uh, at some point. Uh, hey, everybody, so if you guys are going to be there at IEM, I'm, I'm going to be there. Looking forward to seeing everybody. Uh, come find me. I'll be uh, walking around the floor and, and whatnot. And uh, 
uh, maybe we can meet up. I could buy you a coffee or a, a soda or something. And, uh, you know, other than that, uh, hopefully uh, things are going great. Hey, listen, thank you so much for spending time with me this morning. And, um, yeah, and, and realistically, follow us on Facebook. You know, if you can, we have a great group over there. Uh, this We just started doing the top 10 books that belong on an emergency manager's bookshelf back there, right? Um, so if you have a book that you think that uh, you think needs to be on that bookshelf uh, and or and realistically read, right, by the emergency managers, uh, please go to Facebook and, and vote, right? Uh, join the group. Love to see you over there. And until then, stay safe and stay hydrated.